It's staring at us in the face. A six's primary reach when they're reaching for a defense strategy is worry. It's our core weakness, yeah. but it's also our primary strategy that keeps tripping us up in life. It's the fundamental way we self-protect. If I can think this through, if I can think through all the possible scenarios, if I can just get control of this, then I can produce the kind of safety and stability and security that I long for. I'm Sawyer Witted, And I'm Scott Tress. Welcome to The Stories That Make Us. This podcast uses the tool of the Enneagram to explore the beauty and complexity of humanity through stories, both real and fictional. Some episodes, we interview live guests about their stories through the lens of their types. Other episodes, we'll dissect fictional characters to discover their types and learn more about ourselves in the process. Because the reality is, it can be hard to see ourselves accurately. The eye can see everything but itself. Thanks for joining us, and let's get to it. Hello, beautiful people. Beautiful people. That's the only part of the song that I know. <laughs> Do you know that song, Ed Sheeran? I know that line. That's that's all I, I have got. no idea what the Not words a, are after the it. the biggest Ed Sheeran fan, but... Yeah, me either. Anyway. Okay, I have a question for you. Okay. Oh, As okay. per usual. Uh-huh. Scott, if you could be the best in the world at something, what would it be? Hmm. Okay. Ooh. First thought goes like, I don't know, golf it's you make a million you make tons of money and it's like you're outside in the nice weather having a good time you make tons of money doing so many other things why golf i'm a fan of sports and i'm thinking what sport will i get injured the least often i'm not gonna say football (laughs) i'm not gonna be able to walk (laughs) so if if you were the best at it though that could also imply or mean mm, that you wouldn't get injured it depends what kind of best you are fair Oh but my gosh, <laughs> Golf. golf's a great time. Amazing. So, all right, <laughs> sure, I'll give that to you. Fun and profitable. I would probably say I don't know. What, my mind immediately went to the Olympics, which mm. notice that golf is not an Olympic sport. Anyway, I think that I would like to be like the best, like pole vaulter or something. I always thought pole vaulting looks so much what like a terrible so much decision. Fun. <laughs> Says the golf guy. All right, whatever. We'll argue about I this mean- later. We'll argue about this later. let's get into today's episode we are talking enneagram type six today so the core fear for type six is feeling fear being without support security or guidance being targeted blamed accused or physically abandoned and again as with all the core fears this develops in childhood and there's a message that every child hears either explicitly as in it was said to them or implicitly as in it wasn't said but they still experienced it And either way, the message still felt true to the child, and so it became true to them. Young type sixes often felt endangered, like life was unpredictable. Some felt that their parents had emotionally erratic tendencies, like you never knew what you were going to get. They felt like the unpredictable was what you should always look out for and try to predict. They also felt like authorities growing up were always telling them, don't forget about this, or don't forget about that. This led the child six to believe an unconscious message that it is not okay to depend on or trust yourself. So as they're running from their core fear, they're running towards their core desire, which is having support, security, guidance, and self-trust. All the while, they're tripping over their core weakness, which is anxiety for the type six. This is an ever scanning of the horizons of life to try and stop the worst case scenarios from actualizing in their world. It's predicting ever vigilance, 
Sometimes this takes the form of a fear of public shootings or world apocalypse, but more often this takes the form of a fear of them being completely abandoned, without support, without guidance, and left to fend for themselves, which is a terrifying experience when you are so deeply mistrustful of yourself. So it makes sense why they deal with this anxiety. However, the story doesn't end there for type sixes. This is where the fourth core motivation comes in. It's the secret sauce, the thing that saves them from the trap of their type. That's the core longing. And for the type six, it is that you are safe and you are secure. And because we don't want to just have this head knowledge of type six without any practical or experiential knowledge of this type, we invited Adam Breckenridge to join us on the pod for today's episode. Adam's married to his lifelong best friend, Carrie, and they have three daughters, Lucy Blue, Susanna Jane, and Georgie Love. He currently serves as the director of coaching at Your Enneagram Coach, where he gets to support and equip Enneagram coaches around the world. He's also a coach himself, working mostly with pastors and leaders. He's been a pastor for over 20 years, and his passion is to provide a safe place for others to tell their stories and discover their true selves in Christ. Here's our interview with Adam. Well, hey, Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, Sawyer, thanks for having me. It's always good to be with you. I don't get enough time with you ever. Oh, I know. Same. So this is a real treat for me. Thanks for having me. Thanks, brother. You are officially the first person for me to have on my podcast who has a Southern drawl. Oh, I'm so honored. (laughs) Is it that obvious, though? Is the Southern accent super obvious? How do you pronounce my name? (laughs) We were just having this conversation. Okay. So I'm trying now to honor you. I'm trying to pronounce it Sawyer. Okay. Cause I, cause I believe in honoring people and you're, you are a person, but I tend to pronounce your name Sawyer. Yeah. Like Tom Sawyer, which is Tom Sawyer to me, by the way, always has been <laughs> my cousin whose last name is the same as your first name. They would pronounce it Sawyer. I think Sawyer. it's just because we're from a different part of the world and, uh, true. And people say things differently. So tomato, tomato yep. kind of thing. But yep. from henceforth, I pronounce your name Sawyer. I'll believe it when I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it's still coming out Sawyer. I think I'm saying Sawyer, but it's I'm not. Yeah. The, the it genuinely doesn't bother is, me. <laughs> I'm honored to be the first Southern accent on your podcast. It's an honor for me. Yeah. Thank you. And it's awesome. Okay, Adam, so as we talk about Enneagram types, something that I constantly repeat on this podcast is that there's four core motivations that make your type, right? It's not what you do that makes your type. And you as a fellow coach, you know this thoroughly. It's not what you do or how you act that makes you your type. Those can be aspects of the type and like stereotypes of the type, which stereotypes exist for a reason. Sometimes they're based off a nugget of truth, right? Yep. But what really makes your type is the motivations. And so there's four core motivations. We always talk about the core fear, which you're always running from, your core desire, which you're always running towards, your core weakness, which you're constantly tripping over, and then your core longing, which is what saves your type from that exhausting journey. As we begin to talk about type sixes, we start with the core fear. And this core Mm -hmm. fear is often one of the first things that develops in childhood. And for the type six, the core fear is feeling fear, being without support, Mm -hmm. without security, without guidance being targeted, blamed, or accused. And from my understanding, the big reason why they fear being targeted, blamed, or accused is because that then could lead to being abandoned. 
and being alone. As we, as I just said, it starts in childhood. And so I'm curious for you, Adam, what was your childhood like growing up? Yeah. First of all, everything you just said resonates so deeply. It's what I love about the Enneagram. I remember the first time I discovered my type and I read about a type six. I felt like I was living inside Psalm 139, where hmm. it talks about the spirit searching and knowing you. And I felt like God was just noodling in my guts. I felt so seen and so known and so understood because of those four core motivations that you just mentioned, which are things that I always knew were true about myself, but I didn't have the language for them. And so once God flipped the lights on through the Enneagram. That was like day one of the rest of my life. So I, all that just to say, I totally agree with those core, everything you said about those core motivations really is reading my mail. It's all true. And when I look back on my childhood, I can see all those things at play as well. Let me just say too, I want to say this. Sometimes it's really hard to tell the truth about your parents' failures because the Bible says, honor your mother and father. And we can take verses like that and feel like we can't say the bad stuff because it's dishonoring. And I had a mentor who's worked with me for years. He's still a mentor of mine who said he sets each one of his kids down before they, before they leave the nest and go off to college or get married or whatever. He set each one of them down and told them, one day you're going to be on somebody's couch, a pastor, a therapist, a coach, a friend, whatever, and you're going to open up and talk about the woundedness that you carry that you've, that you've inherited from me. You're going to, you're going to talk about the ways I hurt you, sinned against you, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And he always gives them this permission of, I just want you to know that when that day comes, you will not be dishonoring me if you're telling the truth. Hmm. And so that has given me a lot of permission to say, I love my parents and I love so much about my childhood and I've got all the grace for them that I need for myself. And it was pretty broken growing up. So if I'm telling the truth about my life, it, I grew up in a very unstable environment, a very unpredictable environment, very chaotic atmosphere. It was a home life that was marked by addiction. Hmm. And if you're listening to this podcast and you grew up in an environment like that, you know how unstable that is. And I just never knew what I was going to get. When I woke up, when I got off the bus, when I got home from football practice, when I got home from work or my friend's house, I just never knew what I was stepping into. It could be that I was stepping into everybody sober and dinner's ready and, and the house feels like that there's order and there's peace and I feel protected and safe, but I could also be stepping into a nightmare. And so my soul was structured around that atmosphere. That's how I grew up. We have this argument of nature versus nurture and which comes first. And did I become a six through that environment? I don't think so because I think you're born your type. So I would say that I showed up to my atmosphere with all my sixiness. And, it, and I'll also say that my atmosphere growing up reinforced all my sixiness, all that stuff just got reinforced by the way that I grew up. Yeah. Unpredictable and unstable are two really bad words for a six. We desire the opposite of that, but I didn't always have that growing up. I have a couple things that I was just thinking about as you were saying that first is thank you for sharing that. That's an honor for us to hear and for you to share vulnerably like that is one of the many reasons why I respect you. And then secondly, there's this thing within the Enneagram that I think about a lot about our woundedness from our parents. A mentor of mine uses the phrase to have honor and honesty. Like the two yes. things can exist together. Yes. 
Yeah. And it's not good when we're missing one of those things. If we're, yeah. if we think that honoring means that we're dishonest, that's not actually honoring in the end. And if we think yeah. that honesty is just dishonoring, then that's not honest. That's not actually how that all works. So they go hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive from each other. But right. I think what also is not mutually exclusive is that all of our wounding also doesn't come from our parents. It also comes right. from, like you were saying, partially our perspective and the way we viewed the world, which we can't help, right? That's just our lens. Yeah. And so it's not that there's something wrong or that there's something bad about us or that we have sinned or failed in that way. It just is. This is our perspective yeah. and this is how we approach the world and the world is broken. So we yes. reap and experience the consequences of that. Yes. I think that's been something helpful because whether they've mentioned it on all the five previous episodes that we've had so far with types one through five before you, whether they mentioned it on the air or they've said it to me before the podcast episode, every single person has said something to the extent of, well, when I talk about childhood, I want to be careful about what I say with like my parents. <laughs> and yeah. I think that is such a relatable feeling. It's like we want to honor them, but we also need to be honest. And also we can own that we perceived things, even though they weren't necessarily true. We still perceived aspects of things. Absolutely. I think the other thing too, I'll just add to that is we don't want to dishonor these individuals who mm -hmm. raised us and cared for us. And some people had, some people didn't have someone to raise them and care for them. So if you're listening to this and you're like, my situation was demonic, there was mm. abuse and neglect. And yeah. that's not, you, that's not that you have a problem with your perception. That's you were actually traumatized and wounded. Yeah. And I would say that I, in many ways I was, but also, yeah, my perception, a lot of times the way I interpreted what was happening was false. I mm. couldn't see what was actually underneath this addiction or underneath this instability. And so my interpretations were, it was always, it was about me. That's what's fascinating, man. Kids, I know we're getting out of Enneagram language and getting into some psychology, but there's overlap. Love it. And kids, a kid will never look at a parent's neglect or a parent's failure against them and interpret it as what's wrong with my parent. Mm -hmm. The kid will always look in the mirror and say, what's wrong with me that, yes. that my parents would choose this over me. The reason why, by the way, that a kid won't look at the parent and say, what's wrong with the parent is because that's a wildly more terrifying thought to think mm -hmm. that something's wrong with the parent. Because if something's wrong with the parent, the kid is so confronted with their helplessness. How are they going to change that situation? Yeah. So what the kid does instead is looks in the mirror and says, something's wrong with me. So I'll adjust. Yes. I will adapt to survive. I will learn how wow. to walk on eggshells around dad. I will learn how to play mom's game. I will learn how to be codependent or people pleasing or striving or whatever I need to do to survive this environment. And that's a terrifying thought. And I did a lot of that growing up. And so a lot of times my perceptions and my interpretations were just off. And so, yeah, it's both and, right? It's like the woundedness was real. The ways that my parents failed me and sinned against me were very real. The facts are real. And some of the interpretations are accurate too, but yeah. many of them are off. Many of them are false. I hit 40 last year and it's taken me up to this point in my life really to begin to see, okay, a there are a lot of things I need to own about the way I perceived reality that was just untrue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. That's really helpful, Adam. Thanks for explaining all that. As you were just saying, Adam, we often look inward at ourselves and we figure out very quickly as young kids, because the world is broken and because we feel fear, 
whatever that looks like, depending on who you are and your perspective, we realized really quickly that we need to defend against that. And so when we're young, we actually begin to implement this defense mechanism. And we have yep. usually have no idea we're even doing it. It's so subconscious. Right. But every single Enneagram type has their own defense mechanism. And for the type sixes, it's often described as this defense mechanism of projection. Mm -hmm. The type six will see unwanted or unacceptable thoughts, feelings, behaviors, motives, characteristics about themselves, and they'll see it in others. They're often blinded to the fact that these problems are things that exist within themselves and not others because their projections feel so much like reality. So this is how mm -hmm. the type six kind of defends their fear. There's this message that sounds something like this. As I continue to project my fears and insecurities onto others, I no longer have to feel blame targeted and at the risk of being abandoned and can focus all uh -huh. of my attention on getting what I desire. And so we'll move to the mm -hmm. core desire in a second. But you and I've had some conversations about this defense mechanism, and I would love for you to explain and just tell us how you experience this. If you don't experience this, what it all looks like for you. Yeah, I was telling you, I think I break the rules a little bit for type sixes because projection has not ever really resonated with me deeply. I'm not saying I don't do it. I think we all do it on, mm -hmm. to some extent. And yeah. I'll tell you one place I have noticed it for sure is sometimes when I'm working with certain Enneagram types who shall remain nameless, <laughs> or I will project this thing that says that they are trying to compete with me and like they're trying to crush me. They're trying to win mm -hmm. against mm -hmm. me. And I have had to look in the mirror and actually embrace that that's actually what I'm doing with them. And that goes into, that's a strategy I use to survive my whole life. I think sixes have this three part of our hearts mm -hmm. and my type three part gets very aggressive, competitive, and wants to win and not just win, but like Michael Jordan wins. So I don't want to just beat you. I want to crush you. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's the part of my heart really does feel that way. And it's because it's because it's a defense mechanism. It really is. Another way I've seen it show up is if I can look, this is so judgmental, good grief, Lord, forgive me. People forgive me if I've done this to you, but I can look at a person again, it's usually a certain type that really kind of activates this in me that I'm, if I'm working closely with them and I can see that they're operating out of insecurity and a fear of exposure and shame. And that's what's driving them. And I realize actually that's what I'm doing. I don't want to be exposed as someone that actually doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't have the competency for the role I'm in and doesn't have the skill set that's really required. And underneath all of that is I'm going to be pushed out and abandoned. Like I'm underneath all of that is it's the worst case scenario. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to end up living under a bridge and nobody's going to want me. And so definitely I would say projection is a defense mechanism, but I feel like what's more low hanging fruit when it comes to the defense mechanism of a six Mm -hmm. It's staring at us in the face. A six's primary reach when they're reaching for a defense strategy is worry. It's our core weakness, yeah. but it's also our primary strategy that keeps trip, tripping us up in life. It's the fundamental way we self-protect. If I can think this through, if I can think through all the possible scenarios, if I can just get control of this, then I can produce the kind of safety and stability and security that I long for. And I don't know if I'm answering your question or if that's helpful or not, but, but that, that, that would be, I think how I relate to projection. So it's there yeah. for sure. Yeah, it is helpful. By the way, caveat for my lovely type six friend here, you just showing up and speaking is helpful. 
doesn't matter which of the voices is speaking to me. <laughs> you just speaking to me is helpful because you're expressing your story from your own perspective. So that's what I'm asking from you. That's it. That's what Thanks, people want to hear. Yeah, I mean it. I think when we think of worry, it's easy to picture someone who just like cowers in a corner. Mm-hmm. I think of worry as a very frenetic, active energy. Oh, dude. Yeah. Tell me if this resonates. It, it feels like to me, if the six can, if a human being can worry about something enough <laughs> that they've thought through all the ways it could go wrong, then there's like this sense of false security of like, okay, I'll be prepared for that and I can handle it. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's why worry is a protective strategy. If you're looking at it in IFS terms, worry is a manager. If you have a worrier, it's a part of you that's trying to protect the most vulnerable parts of you. And it's absolutely a defensive mechanism. And I would argue it's the go-to defense mechanism for sixes. Projection's there, but worry is the thing, man. And you're right. It's not sitting in a corner. I think sixes can bottom out and get completely paralyzed with their fears and worries. But for the most part, that worry will team up, especially if you're six, that worry will team up with your seven part, your seven wing and get super frenetic. And sixes are some of the busiest, most workaholic, driven, dutiful, hardworking. I mean, you just look at all the Enneagram language. That's the words used to describe them. Hardworking, dutiful, loyal, faithful. They will work like a dog. And that's where worry will take you. It'll take you to that kind of, like you said, that frenetic, crazy busy energy. I'm talking about it from an academic perspective. This is not really my experience, but that's sarcasm. That's sarcasm. This is my life. I mean, I, this is how, this is why I've burned out a couple of different times in my adult life. And then I still have a long way to go. I feel like there's a piece to, there's a piece to the language about projection, not to like beat a dead horse here with just getting stuck on projection, but I see it so much in the literature of sex and there's something in my gut that doesn't quite sit right about it. So I'm mm-hmm. glad we're talking about this. There's a piece to the language of projection that I don't like. And that's the piece of assigning your own unacceptable thoughts, feelings, behaviors onto other people. I think there's so much more of a push pull with type sixes than there is like this almost that idea, like that language makes me think of just a push, like just pushing people away because they've got these things that you may be projecting onto them because you don't want to admit them in yourself. But I think like we talk about fours have this push pull dynamic. I think sixes have a very similar energy as fours in a lot of ways. And I was just interviewing the type four and a few days ago, actually. And I was telling him that I feel like he shares a lot of similar energy with sixes. And so it feels like there is this push pull with the sixes in my life of like in the seasons that are less healthy, there's this pulling you really close because you're safe and secure in your relationship and they don't want to be alone. Yeah. Or it's this pushing you away in skepticism. And I think what's happening there. And tell me if this resonates with you, because again, I'm not a six, but I think what's happening there is this projection, not of their unacceptable thoughts and feelings inside of themselves, but this projection of worry of here's what could go wrong. And I'm believing it in a fantasy world to the point where it's actually starting to become a reality to me, even though it's not actually real. And I'm not invalidating the fear because the reality is your fear actually has been proven. You have been abandoned before. And that's true of every type six. You've experienced some form of abandonment. 
So that is real and true. And that's where Sawyer, if I may jump in, that's so helpful to me to hear hear you explain it that way around, about push-pull. Honestly, like it's helping me see myself more clearly. And I'm grateful for that insight. And there's really two different ways that a six will push. So you're right, we'll pull. Sometimes we'll pull and get really close. And underneath that can be this projection of, I've got to do this or this person's going to leave me. So I'm going to, I'm going to get really close and attach. And there's a fine line between a six's gift of loyalty and codependency. Fine line between those two things. So there's a way that we can pull and get really codependent with a person. And then there's a couple different ways we push. Sometimes a six's push is the opposite of codependency. It's detachment. It's withdrawal. And our five wing helps us go there. So there's times, pray for my wife. I just, I feel like sixes, I love us. I love me. And I feel like we might be the hardest person to be close with because you, hmm. it's funny. We're the ones afraid of that. We're not, that we don't know what we're going to get like of unpredictable, but we're honestly that way. Sometimes as faithful and loyal as we can be, our response to conflict or whatever, you never, you just never know what you're going to get. Sometimes we'll withdraw. That's when our five part shows up and helps us pull back and withdraw. But another way that we push is we fight. Like mm-hmm. a, a six will get provocative and aggressive. And you see this in the Enneagram literature too. Sometimes a six will just say a provocative line because what they're actually doing is testing the attachment to see how strong it is. If I say this, if I go here, if I cross this line, how are you going to respond? Will you leave me? Or are you going to stay with me? And what I've observed in my relationships is like, if here's the line, and I know people can't see me on video, but I'm drawing a line and mm-hmm. eight will step over the line. No problem. Mm-hmm. They blow right past the line, the red tape. You know, if, if there's a relational line, they'll step right over it and be provocative. Yeah. A six will get a running start and long jump over the line. Mm-hmm. We'll go 50 yards over the line. And people are like, whoa, like, where did that come from? But those of you listening, start to pay attention to your six friends and you'll notice this. And what's underneath that is like you said, Sawyer, it's the push of, and maybe it comes across as just being humorous, but honestly, it's a push. It's, I'm going to see if you'll stay with me. Hmm. And sixes have to be really careful with the way we do this because you push pull enough or you push pull in the wrong ways, you can devastate a relationship. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of they really are going to leave you because you're, because you're hurtful <laughs> and sure. they may forgive you, but they may pull away from you. And right. so sixes really have to ha- be careful and have the awareness of this kind of stuff that's going on yeah. inside of us. Does that make sense? Oh, so much sense. It's so helpful. I have a couple of people in my life, very dear people to me who are sixes and the Enneagram has helped me understand their behavior, it has been invaluable to me because again, I'm not a six, right? I'm a two. We share a lot of commonalities, but I just don't think the same way that you guys think. I don't have the same colored lens that you guys have. Mine's a different color. And so when I see certain behaviors where I'm like, I would never do that as a two, you know, it's easy without that language or understanding and compassion of what else, what someone else is undergoing and thinking and feeling it's easy to just make a, a judgment or a stereotype or throw someone in a box. But the reality yeah. is like learning about type sixes has helped me so much in knowing how to navigate those relationships and also just provide like steadiness of, Hey, yeah, I'm still here. Hey, you just exploded. Yeah. I'm still here. 
hey, you're oh. being super kind and sweet. I'm still here. Like it, it. Yeah. And I see you. We need that. You know? We need that. We desperately need that kind of grace. Hmm. I feel like that's, I feel like that's the gift of the Enneagram is uh, it really does help us step into compassion for one another and truth telling. Sixes need to, hmm. you got to be direct with us and tell us when we're doing these things. And hmm. so that's the other piece It's like, there's the place for compassion. Okay, I understand where Adam's at. I understand where he's coming from. I know what he's doing when he does this. But then there has to be the moment where when Adam sobers up, hmm. the friend, the, the my wife, whoever it is, the other person gets to tell the truth now about what it was like to be on the other side of me and right. experience me and how that was hurtful or whatever, yeah. inappropriate or whatever, and give me the chance to see myself clearly and own it and repent and work on it. You know what I mean? So good. I do. Yes. That's so good, man. I want to move on to the next part, which is the second core motivation, which is the desire. And we've already touched on it a little bit, but type six's core desire is having support, having security, guidance, and being able to trust themselves. Mm -hmm. And so you want to have support and you want to be steadied, but believing that you can never really be sure that you'll have it because we live in a broken world, you focus your attention on cowardice instead. And that's a pretty mm. strong word. So let me explain what that means for those of you who are listening. Struggling to muster fortitude and strength, the six sees threats and backstabbing everywhere, and as a result can become distrustful of others and especially themselves. There's also mm. this belief underneath the cowardice that if they can perceive and prepare themselves for every threat of potential abandonment, they will be able to prevent it from happening. And yeah. so it, it's like that core fear and the core desire both right there that are like a yin and a yang, so to speak, pulling you. So yeah, as we talk about that, I think another really important thing to talk about is like the inner committee. I think this plays a lot of a lot into this as well and is a large reason why sixes struggle to trust themselves. So I would love for you to talk about this and maybe explain some of this, what it's like for you in your life. Yes. Yeah, the three big words for me when it comes to the core desire, I love the way you said to have support and be steadied. That's spot on. Another way to say it is the three big S words are safety, security, and stability. Those are the things I want more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, I want those things relationally. Like I want to be in safe relationships. I was just reading, man, I don't know if you've read Kurt Thompson's Soul of Desire, which he published, I think last year or two years ago. It's his latest book, but all throughout that book, he weaves this idea that the essence of secure attachment, which every child was made for and longs for, is that you long to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure. And that's obviously true of every Enneagram type, but man, those S words really stand out to a six. It's, do you see me? And when you see me, do you see me with eyes of love? Do you want to be with me? Is there a soothing? Is there comfort in this relationship? And then safety and security. Is this person safe? Are they going, are they going to hurt me or harm me? Are they out to get me? And the security is, do I have an anchor with this person? Is this person going to abandon me? So that's what I desire more than anything. And, and yeah, cowardice. It's one of those vices for the six, like worry. And absolutely, I see it show up. I tend, I, and I'm not afraid of the word. I'm not afraid of using that word. I don't think it's a, a mean word. I think it's a very accurate word for sixes. But again, I come back to the word worry. 
Because when I hear you talk about six of seeing the threats of backstabbing everywhere and becoming distrustful, that's cowardice if it paralyzes me and causes me to take no action, do nothing but withdraw. But I would, I would tend to use the word worry. That's what's going on in the sixth's mind is they're just, it's paranoia. At its worst, yeah. it's paranoia. It's looking around and it's this belief that everybody's out to get me and everybody's going to leave me and everybody's going to turn on me. And it's only a matter of time. And you're the, and the inner committee is every part of the inner committee has its own take on why that's true. <laughs> and they're all telling you like how to respond and what to do. And I do think there's a, I do think again, cowardice is a fair word. I think cowardice leads us to not take action. So whether that action is being honest with ourselves about our fears, confronting our fears, talking with the people that we're afraid of, what would happen if a six just went up to this significant relationship that's causing a lot of fear and they laid their fears out on the table and said, I want you to know me. I want you to see me. These are things that are going on in my gut, in my heart, in my mind. And I want you to, I want you to see these things. A six is going to be terrified to do that because, again, if you see me, if you see all that, are you going to think I'm crazy? Are you going to still want relationship with me? So I think cowardice would keep us from moving toward people like that. And then the gift of six is a courage that would cause us to, okay, I'm going to have to face these fears. I'm going to have to talk about these things. But yeah, all of that resonates with me. Everything you said completely resonates with me in my day-to-day experience. Yeah, that's so good. I'm having a thought right now that I may or may I may or may not include in this episode, but anxiety is such a buzzword, right? Like sure. Everyone's like, I'm anxious, which I think everyone is anxious. <laughs> I think that's accurate. Oh, yeah. But yep. I feel like when we use a word a lot, it can cheapen it. And so when I think about this, like you talking about worry, I think it's re- it's just it feels really helpful. For some reason, just while you were talking, that word paranoia, I wrote that down on my notes here because that that feels like a much more accurate word for the type six experience from what I've observed and heard than cowardice. Yeah. Again, and I don't like phobic, that word. Yeah. I don't like the paranoia. word paranoia, but it's just true. Yeah. It's yeah. just true. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's just true. Why do you not like it? Because it, cause there's shame attached to it for me, at least mm. if I'm paranoid, I shame that part. I shame that part of myself a lot. There's things I'll say in my head about being paranoid that are unfair and unkind. And, and it's on me. It's on me to treat myself differently with more, as you said earlier, self-compassion. Sure. But it's just true. It's true in my yeah. experience. It's true for the sixes that I've worked with and coached and those in my yeah. life that paranoia is really a part of the core it's part of the core weakness and core struggle for a six yeah no it does make sense i think also yeah i as a whole we in the world i think we need to do a better job of removing morality from words (laughs) that some words are good and some words are bad (laughs) that is a good line dude that's good if they describe our experience then we should use them (laughs) so anyway we had Bobby and I, who is my type one guest, we talked about that in the first episode we talked about because you can imagine as a one, like he assigns morality to everything. Everything's good or bad. So anyway, I digress. We've been dancing around this, basically this whole conversation. And it seems like a good point to just dive right into this. But the third core motivation is the core weakness. And for Mm -hmm. type sixes, that is anxiety. And it's this ever scanning of the horizons of life to try and stop the worst case scenarios from actualizing in their world. 
And oftentimes, the worst case scenarios don't necessarily have to do, they can, but they don't necessarily have to do with like public shootings or world apocalypse, right? More often, this takes the form of a fear of them being completely abandoned, of them being without mm-hmm. support, without guidance, of them being left to fend for themselves, which is a terrifying experience when you so deeply mistrust yourself. If all you have is yourself, yeah. but you mistrust yourself, that sounds terrifying. Yes. So there's a piece of this that was helpful for me. And I definitely want to hear you obviously talk about this from your own experience. There's a piece that was helpful for me when understanding this anxiety. There were two things that I'll say quickly. One is the difference between anxiety and fear. And I'll actually have you explain that because you were the one who kind of explained that to me first. And then secondly, this idea of like you can face fears, the things that you're most fearful of, you feel more fortified and it's easier to face those things when you're with the people that you trust. Yes. So there, I just want to like really overemphasize that relational piece for sixes. That is so important that I think in a lot of Enneagram literature gets left out. Yep, absolutely. So helpful. So I'll just say it like this. Fear is a gift. Fear is a basic human emotion that is necessary east of Eden. If you're not afraid living in a fallen world, then you're going to do something stupid and you're going to destroy your life. Here's what I mean by fear as a gift. Let's say you're at Yellowstone National Park and you see a grizzly bear, right? Mm -hmm. And let's say it's a little too close for comfort. What's the natural human reaction and emotional response to that is going to be fear. Now, it may also be exhilarating, exciting, but that's Mm -hmm. also all connected to fear. Mm -hmm. And the fear is going to give you a gift to preserve your life. The fear is going to tell you don't get close. And when you listen to that fear, you save your life. If you don't listen to that fear, you're going to get yourself injured or harmed or killed. And it's the same thing. Like, man, you're going, you're going, you're driving down the road, you're going around, there's a sign on the road that says sharp, sharp turn ahead. That sign is meant to incite a healthy fear in you that says, slow down. When you go around this curve, slow down. I've spent too much of my life shaming myself for being afraid And I still tend to do that, but I've realized more and more that my fear is actually a gift and it's fear. We say fear leads to wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I can't remember who said it, Sawyer, but someone said, if I'm going to go to war, go to battle, I want to go to battle with men and women who are afraid because if they're afraid, they're going to prepare. They're going to be careful. They're going to, they're going to be guarded. They're going to look out for their brothers and sisters around them. If you go out there on the battlefield with no fear, just pure bravado, just that, which is not courage, by the way, nobody wants to go to war with somebody like that. You want to go to war with someone who has a healthy fear of what they're stepping into. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. So that's fear is a gift. Anxiety is a whole other animal. Anxiety is all about control. And it's certainly connected to fear, but it's not just connected to fear. Anxiety is about shame. Anxiety is about loneliness. I don't want to be, I don't want to be abandoned. I don't want to be left alone. So anxiety is deeply connected to our fear of loneliness, the innate loneliness that we carry. Anxiety is about control. It's this, I'm going to try to climb into the future that doesn't exist yet, a future where God is not there. And I'm going to try to get up there and get ahead of this thing and control the outcome. There's two different kinds of anxiety. There's an anxiety that is synonymous with the word worry. I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, do not worry. Don't obsess about all these things that could go wrong. 
But there's also like a somatic anxiety that lives in your body that's connected to trauma that is not at all what Jesus was talking about. He wouldn't look at a traumatized person and command them not to be anxious. Yeah, That's a whole different animal. That is your brain's been rewired and your amygdala is constantly activated and you're on fight, flight, or freeze mode. And so that that's a different thing. But the core weakness for sixes is more of that worry that Jesus was talking about. It's more of that kind of anxiety of I'm trying to control everything. And what was he actually getting at in the gospels when he was talking about, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or whatever is what's underneath all of that. Is anybody going to protect me and provide for me and care for me? Is God going to come through for me? If I don't worry about these things, who else is going to care? Who else cares? That's what's underneath it all is abandonment. And so that's in a nutshell, what I would argue is the difference between fear and anxiety. Probably the best way I've ever heard anyone articulate that. And I'm not saying that to flatter you. It means a lot. I'm still working through it. It's such a journey for me that I've been on. I've just, I've just had to, I've had to really sit with this a lot and I've had some really good coaches and therapists and Ooh. caregivers. Yeah. <laughs> some I good tell. teachers along the way. It's a good thing. So before we move on to the core longing, there's one more thing that I want to talk about. In the Enneagram, we talk about how all nine types fit into three instinctual centers. So the gut mm-hmm. center, that's your eights, nines, and ones. The heart center, that's your twos, threes, and fours. And the head center, which is your fives, sixes, and sevens. So with those three instinctual centers, we find that there's one of them that we primarily take in all our information through. And that's the center that we lie, right? But the way that we process that information outwards is not necessarily always through that same center. So there's a primary center that we use, there's a secondary center, and then there's a repressed center. And sometimes people are surprised to find out that for the sixes, their repressed center is the center that they lay in, which is the thinking or the head triad center. And so what that looks like is that their feeling and their doing equally overcompensate and overfunction to the detriment of their thinking. So sixes feel all the feelings and then immediately move into action. But then they feel mistrustful of their actions and go back to feeling the feelings, particularly of doubt or worry, all the while not actually thinking productively or necessarily logically about each situation at hand. And so their anxiety is often about unfounded outcomes. This does not mean that their anxiety is invalid because all feelings are valid in the sense that we feel and experience them as true, but doesn't necessarily mean that the outcomes that they're worrying about are going to happen. And so I think that's where the repressed thinking comes in. Do you find that this resonates with you? Do you struggle with this? Yeah. We used to joke. There used to be a guy in our church, an older gentleman in our church, where when I would preach, sometimes he would say, pastor, you cross the line from preaching into meddling. You're meddling in my business up there. Like you're all over my toes or something. Uh, Clearly he's joking, but right now you're meddling for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. My doing and feeling go into overdrive and yeah, the productive thinking is shut off. Yes, this is my experience. Sixes can be very emotionally reactive. That's again, like you made the connection earlier, we sometimes can manifest like fours. We have some pretty big feelings. And so absolutely. I can't remember who used the analogy, but that analogy of the man and the elephant, when it comes to your right brain and left brain working together, the two are meant to move together with the man providing direction, but very much attuned to the elephant. The man representing the left logical brain, the elephant representing the right brain, emotional brain. Sure. But when the elephant gets triggered or activated, 
the six ton elephant doesn't care what the man knows. It's this, the man's just along for the ride. And that is unfortunately a part of my experience in life is very emotionally reactive and I can go into my emotions. They carry me into busyness or some, some sort of hyperactivity. We talked about frenetic energy earlier. Meanwhile, I'm not really thinking logically or productively. So yes, it's a very disintegrating experience for the six. Totally. If you're listening to this as a six to hopefully de-shame this, like every single type has their own particular issue with this, right? That's right. There are some types who function very well out of their thinking, but have no idea how to express their feelings <laughs> or even identify their own feelings. I'm resonating with aspects of what you're saying as well, because as we've, you know, people who've listened to episodes prior and who listened to the type two episode, I'm also in a similar place as you, my feeling and doing overfunction and my repressed center is my thinking as well. Logical thinking. And I think the term productive thinking was really helpful for me. Yes. I don't tend to productively think. <laughs> so I just hope that if anyone's listening to this who starts to maybe feel a little shame over that, there's, again, taking away the morality from words and just being honest about the experience. That's where we find compassion and healing. Yes. So the final core motivation is the core longing. I always refer to this as <laughs> the secret sauce that kind of saves you from your type, that saves you from the traps of your type. This is the message that every type is offered, but specifically uniquely for type sixes, this is the message that your head, your heart, your body, and your spirit need. And that is that you are safe and you are secure. Mm. And I think that those words are very intentional because they mean separate things. Typically, when I think of safety, I often think of safety as circumstantial. You have the things you're provided for, you, you're in an environment that is safe, etc. While security tends to be more relational. Yes. You are secure in relationship with people. To be secured to something is to be bonded to it, to be attached yeah. to it. We often talk about you want a secure foundation before you build a house on top of it. Mm. At the heart of it for the sixes is they want that relational security. And you can face the problems of the world on top of that foundation if you have that, which you do. You do. <laughs> and that's why this message is so beautiful and wonderful because it is true. How does this message make you feel? What comes up for you when you hear it? Yeah. Coming back to Kurt Thompson's S words, I feel soothed. I feel seen and I do feel safe and secure. The, here's what's interesting. There's an image that's coming to mind for me as, as I was listening to you talk about right. safety and security. And the image is the image of a child who has a secure attachment with their parents. So I've got three daughters. When they were younger, like little, I remember like being at a park and they would, you'll see kids do this, like they'll go off and play on their own and create, play in the sandbox and make a sandcastle, or they'll climb up on top of the, the monkey bars or up on top of the slide. And they're just out there exploring and creating and running wild and free. But every now and then they'll look over and see if dad is still there. If dad is still there or mom is still there, they're like, okay. And they go back to playing and creating and exploring and jumping off things and adventuring. And then every now and then they'll look over and maybe even walk over just to check in. They're unaware that's what they're doing, but they'll walk mm -hmm. over just to check in. Mom's still there. Dad's still there. And then they go off and they, that's secure attachment. That's what secure attachment is. That's what security is. Security is I have an anchor 
And that anchor tethers me. I'm so tethered to this anchor, this person, that I can go out into the world and be myself and explore with bravery and courage. And I can create, I can make things that are good and beautiful and true, and I can play. And, and then I have this safe place to come home because I have this anchor. So when I hear the message, my core longing, that message of you are safe and secure, Oh, it just feels so, it makes me want to go create. I just, I want to explode. I want to run fast. I want to create. I want to produce. I want to, I'll run through a wall for you. Like I want to sacrifice and pour myself out. I want to serve. Yeah. That's how it makes me feel. That's how you ask the question, how does it make you feel? I feel soothed and I feel seen and I feel like, okay, now I want to go out and be myself. And that's why the people who know me the best, who, you know, are Enneagram users, they'll say that to me, Adam, you're safe, you're Mm -hmm. secure. And man, it doesn't matter how many times I hear that it lights me up. It may take me just a second to get there, but always ends up settling in a good place on good soil. It always takes a root in good soil when people speak that over me. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning, too, to speak that over myself. I'm not totally sufficient always to get myself out of a jam with that message because I'm relational. I do need other people. Every, everybody does. Yes. But I am learning and growing and even being able to speak that message to myself and receive it from myself and trust myself. But that's how it makes that. me feel. I love that. Has it always been easier to receive for you? It's easier to receive from people I trust hmm. uh, that there's built trust with, but no, it's, it's, there's an asterisk next to, I guess, every situation. Some people have offered me that message and I have not trusted, I have not trusted them. And sometimes I've been wrong in that. Sometimes it's that I've not trusted them for good reason. Like it was actually, there were actually good reasons not to trust that I was safe and secure with them. Yeah. But man. My inner circle, my my lifelong BFFs, my wife, when those people speak that over me, because I trust them, it really does tend to cut through my distrust of myself and it usually lands on good soil. Makes sense to me. Yeah. For us to receive our core longing, there has to be some form of trust behind it. Has to be. And I can't avoid the correlation between the word trust and the word truth. To trust truth, it has to come from a trustworthy source. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And think about this image, man. Mm -hmm. For a six to trust in what you're saying that I'm safe and secure means trust is not passive. If I'm going to trust you and receive that message, it means I have to relax. It means I have to let my guard down. I'm no longer guarded because I'm safe and secure. What is there to be guarded about? So it takes a tremendous amount of courage and trust and faith to receive that message. You can't receive it without trust because to receive it, I've got to open my hands. I've got to let down a defensive posture and transform into a relaxed posture where my dukes aren't up. I'm not guarded. I'm not defensive. That's the anxiety in me that wants to live that way. But if I'm safe and secure, then I just, I get to be a child, but that's also real vulnerable. That's real vulnerable. So yes, it takes a lot of trust to receive that message is true. So good, man. So good. There's two things that Scott and I wanted to offer to the type sixes who are listening to this podcast. And we've done this for each episode. We want to, we don't want to just talk about the difficulties of the type and the hard suffering and just leave you there, which is why we always talk about the core longing, right? The type is not complete without the core longing, but there are two things that we are recommending people to try out two practices. And the first one is breath prayers. So as you breathe in, 
you breathe deeply, and then you breathe out a message. And you do this a few times over and over for a few minutes, as, as long as you need, really. We recommend for the sixes that you breathe in and you breathe out the message that I am safe, I am secured, I am held, and I am enough. Mm. Are there any that you would add? Oh, man. No, those are perfect. I'm just taking notes. I love breath prayers, but I like the idea of breathing out false messages and breathing in these four messages of I'm Ooh. safe, I'm secured, I'm held, yeah. I'm enough. I like that a whole lot. Oh, I like that. That's good. Breathing in the message, breathing out the false. Mm. I like that. So the second practice we recommend is similar. It's affirmations. And there's such a difference psychologically and for our brains and for our senses when we think a message versus when we speak it. I think it's really important that we practice speaking things out loud so that our own ears can hear the words that are coming out of our mouths and our own brains can feel them resonate in our throats and our, in our mouths. And so the affirmation for the six is that I am safe and I am secure apart from the loyalty that I give and attempt to earn from others. Mm. So regardless of the loyalty that you're giving, which is a wonderful gift and we love and we appreciate, regardless of that, you're still safe and secure. It's nothing mm. that you're earning. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I'm stealing that too. There's nothing I would add that's so helpful. Thank you for, for offering that gift. Gladly. So I paint this picture of a tree and we'll end with this. When I think about a tree, there are three primary pieces to the structure of a tree. There's the foundation. That's the root and the trunk, right? The roots and the trunk. This is the strongest part of the tree. It's what everything else is built upon. And then there are the branches, which begin to grow from the tree. And they begin to affect and touch other trees around them. They're next to other trees in a forest or something. And then the third part is the fruit that grows from those branches. And the fruit is delicious, right? Delicious to the taste and delightful to the eyes. And so I want to give this analogy as we're talking about the core longing, this tree that it ends up building in the type six's life. Hmm. So your core longing is the foundation. It's the roots and the trunk. This is you are safe and secure. When your foundation is built upon that, the next thing that happens is these branches grow. And that is the six's virtue, and that's courage. And that, like you said earlier, we know the world is unpredictable. We know that life is threatening, but courage is moving forward in faith anyway, knowing that yeah. you're cared for and you're held securely. Yes. It's not getting rid of the fear. I can't emphasize that enough. And as I said with the branches, that begins to touch the people around you. I can speak from experience, seeing courage in a six including yourself, Adam, has encouraged me and it mm. has pushed me into places of, oh, well, I'm fearful of this, but you know what? I, I feel like this is a call. This is something that I, my gut feels I need to move towards. So I'm going to do it because I know that I'll be okay. And I've got wonderful sixes in my life who have modeled that. And that's the idea of the branches of the tree are touching other trees around it. And then finally, as that virtue of courage grows, those branches grow, this fruit comes forth and that's this fruit of confidence. And this is the ability to continuously live courageously. You learn that you can have the confidence that you need to move forward in life and you can take the challenges and the threats as they come. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to have a painting of this tree. Sounds great. <laughs> I'm going to have to draw or paint this tree or something and hang it up in my office. I love that so much. And it resonates deeply with me. And it's what I hope the memory of me is. Mm. <laughs> I hope my legacy is this was a person that was wonderfully flawed and was courageous, moved into the world and into relationships and stayed. And that there was confidence that gave other people confidence and that blessed the world. That's primarily blessed those people that knew me best. But I really love, I really love that image. Thanks, man. Adam, it has been such, 
such a pleasure to have you here and to talk with you. Always is. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much, Sawyer. Grateful for you, man. Ditto. To leave me by my hey, friends. I got to tell you, I just appreciate Adam so very much. He's one of those few people in my life that when they speak, it's just like I got shot right through my heart into all of my feels with an arrow. He is so kind and wise, truly the picture of courage in many ways. It would mean so much to us if you could rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars and let us know what you think. The song that you are hearing in the background right now is called Six from my album of Enneagram songs titled Ennea Songs. Fun fact about this song, it is my favorite one, even though I am not a six. I love the bare stripped down instrumentation at the beginning with just the piano and the voice, and then the chorus of voices at the end. It was so much fun for me to compose and perform this one. Thanks again for listening today, my friends. And remember, we need a tool like the Enneagram to grow in self-awareness because what you don't own, owns you. Be well, friends. Courage is not found in resolving all of my fears and doubts, knowing all the things that are to come, but moving out and resolving to press on in the face of my So we are talking with Enneagram type sixes. Nope. Just one. We are talking. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) The twins. Yep. Sometimes this could take the form in fear of public shootings or world apocalypse. But more often, this takes the form of a fear of what the heck? (laughs) Sometimes this takes the form in boop. What is that sentence? It would mean so much to us if you could rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I said Apple. You did. <laughs> Ooples and Banunu's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it would mean so much to us if you could rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars and let us know what you